This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. Hope you had a great weekend. Thanks for being back with us. One Missouri school has the top-ranked rodeo team in the country. The state is launching a new app to keep students and school staff safe. Missourians are on the hunt for mushrooms. We'll hear all about that on today's program. Lieutenant Governor Mike Keogh announced he's running for governor. He spoke with Marshall Griffin. You know, I was born and raised uh, by a single mother. I'm the youngest of six in North St. Louis City. Um, We had very humble roots and beginnings and um, worked my way through high school and got a job uh, when I was a teenager washing cars uh, down in South St. Louis uh, for a Ford dealer named Dave Sinclair, who ultimately became my mentor and helped me acquire a manufacturing business in mid-Missouri and Osage County and then uh, the Ford dealership in Jefferson City. So um, I'm a retail guy. I'm a small business guy. That's what I've been doing my whole life. My wife and I have been married almost 34 years. We have four adult children uh, that we're very proud of and have been um, through all of the joys and sometimes sorrows of life with those kids. But um, it's uh, been an unbelievable um, ride in this life. It's, it's, it's truly, I hate to use the word, it, it truly is the American dream that we've been able to live here in this state, in this country, and um, we're just so proud to be able to represent Missouri. And you do have a, a rather extensive background um, in addition to uh, the business world uh, selling cars. Uh, you you were on the uh, Transportation Commission for a while, tell, I guess before you became a state senator. Tell us about uh, that that part of your, your background and how that will help you if you're elected governor. Well, sure. That was uh, probably the earliest days of me getting some sort of interest in what was going on politically. Uh, Governor Blunt uh, appointed me to the Missouri Transportation Commission in 2005, ultimately became its chairman, um, and started to learn um, how extensive our Missouri road and bridge system is and um, got very involved with uh, what our infrastructure needs were, safety for Missouri's family, uh, economic development for Missourians and um, what it took to maintain that system and how it affects our state's economy is huge uh, when you talk about economic development, existing businesses growing, new businesses moving here. Um, So worked with some great people, uh, fellow commissioners on that highway commission, as well as met some great MoDOT employees all across the state who were truly trying to deliver the best results they could for Missouri. And so at that point in time is when I really start interacting with what we would call the state legislature and elected officials um, when you're the local highway commissioner that lives two miles from the Capitol and they need somebody to come testify on a bill, they call you, not the guy from Crothersville, Missouri. So I spent a lot of time at the Capitol on behalf of the highway department just working with legislators on our transportation system. And that's probably the earliest memory I have of really starting to understand and get involved in elected politics. Let's talk about one particular transportation issue, um, the gas tax that was passed a couple of years ago. Uh, early on, you were a supporter of raising the fuel tax in Missouri and uh, met with a lot of uh, pushback from your fellow Republicans. Eventually, it uh, it, it did happen. Uh, how tough a va- battle was that? And do you still think the uh, the higher fuel taxes are helping? Well, oh, definitely helping. Um, you know, Missouri has the seventh largest road system in the United States and the sixth largest bridge system. And at the time we were having that conversation, we were bouncing between 49th and 50th in funding for center lane miles. So seventh largest system, 49th in funding, 
those two items don't match. And the problem had been it was since the early 90s that then Governor John Ashcroft uh, raised the gas tax to accommodate rising costs and construction needs. And we were having this conversation, as you recall, in 2013 and 14. So it had been, you know, over over a decade since anybody addressed it. Um, and if we were going to continue to deliver results with that large of a system, uh, we needed to figure out a user fee. And that's what a gas tax is. It's um, if you use the roads and you buy gas, it's it's part of the user fee and uh, wasn't really popular. You're right. But sometimes leadership is not popular. And sometimes you've got to point out to folks, no matter how painful the conversation is, what it takes to maintain a system like we have. And nothing has happened since that conversation cost wise, except for going up. And Missourians are very familiar with what inflation has done, whether it's a gallon of milk, a gallon of gas, or a, a labor market uh, that we've seen increase incredibly. Construction costs have gone up as well. So since the legislature passed that measure a couple of years ago, it is rolling into effect over a five-year period, um, and it will make a big difference in what MoDOT is able to deliver. And by the way, it still doesn't make us like the highest gas tax in the state. I mean, we're still, I think, number 30th or so in, in what that number is. So it, it doesn't even quite get us below halfway um, and, and Missourians will see the difference, and I think it will make a big difference in our state's economy and our infrastructure development. You're listening to Show Me Today. This is Marshall Griffin, and we're speaking with Lieutenant Governor Mike Kehoe, and we're talking about his uh, recent announcement to uh, seek the office of governor of the state of Missouri. When you became lieutenant governor, it was a rather unusual way of becoming lieutenant governor. Um, as we know, it re- involved... Um, former Governor Eric Greitens resigning and Mike Parson becoming governor, and then he picked you to be lieutenant governor. What was what was that whole experience like for you? Well, it was surreal. I was in my eighth year of being a state senator, and I'm a fan of term limits. I was term limited out, and um, I still have multiple businesses, including my wife and I are first-generation farmers down in Phelps County, 38 years in the cow-calf cattle operation. And so I was ready to get out of the Senate, ready to get out of politics and get into my business career uh, when Governor Parson made that call to me. And as I started out in the beginning of this interview, Marshall, uh, I came from some very humble, very, very basic roots. And uh, to go from how I started and was born and raised to having a governor of a state call and ask you to be the lieutenant governor was really an unbelievable moment for me. And um, I was honored uh, that Governor Parson would think I could be helpful to what he needed to do, and I, I say this all the time, that we, Missouri, were in some tumultuous political times, and uh, Mike Parson came in at the right time, at the right place, and you know, not even have to take over a little bit of a rough go from the previous governor, but um, you know, he was dealt with floods and tornadoes and droughts and then COVID, and uh, um, I'm glad we had somebody there who was steady and not jumpy all over the place uh, that was able to take Missouri through those steps leaving our economy open, letting businesses do business during COVID. And today, I think that's why our um, revenues are so strong is because our businesses survived and grow. So to be a part of that ride has been an incredible journey. And um, I'm, I'm grateful and, and humbled to be uh, just a small part of that. You are not the first to officially announce for governor as a few weeks back, uh, I believe, it was a few weeks back. Jay Ashcroft, uh, the current Secretary of State, announced he was running for governor because he felt like uh, two terms as Secretary of State was enough and he wanted to do something different. Uh, we have uh, Senator Bill Eigel, who hasn't made an official announcement yet, but he's uh, ma- been talking about it and has uh, basically said he's 
seriously considering getting into the governor's race. What do you have to offer to Missouri um, that uh, per, that those two men may not? Well, sure. I mean, governor's races in any state, especially Missouri, typically get several different people that enter into the race. So Missourians have a choice. I believe they're going to have a clear choice on this. If you look at my background and you see the business experience I went through, the, the very humble beginnings we started with and what I've done to try to work my way up with the help of a lot of people, I might add, um, you, I think you'll see the difference between me and other candidates to get in. Um, I would encourage your listeners to go to MikeKehoe.com and uh, check, check us out and see our kickoff video. It's uh, um, I think it does a good job of describing my life story. And um, you're going to find somebody who's been born and raised in Missouri who uh, appreciates uh, what the state has to offer and understands the issues that are in front of us and is willing to roll up his sleeves on day one without any training wheels and take this job on. In an, uh, in an interview on um, KCMO in Kansas City, um, uh, one of the aforementioned candidates uh, who is not officially a candidate basically said that compared you and Senator Ashcroft as a continuation of Republicans failing to do big things, calling you legacy choices. What, what do you say to that? Well, uh, politicians have politicians speak. That's what they do. And um, that's fine if somebody else wants to say that. Um, I've put my 35 years as a small businessman as my front piece, along with being a family man and a Christian. I think those are the things that I'm most proud of. And I'm not sure you're going to have, you know, the results that he thinks from a legacy politician. I mean, you look at what the legislature was able to get done this year with a legacy project like six laning I-70 from one end of our state to the other. I mean, that's when you're that's when you're making generational changes to projects that have happened. Um, I've either been a part of as a Senate floor leader, the largest tax cut in state history or presided over the next largest tax cut as lieutenant governor that we did last uh, fall in our special session. So two of the biggest tax cuts um, in dropping uh, Missourians personal income tax by over 25 percent since I've been in the legislature. So things like that, I think, are good to do for Missourians. And uh, we're going to continue to take that on as well as trying to address crime across our state, which is something that is near and dear to my heart based on the neighborhood I grew up with. I've already been endorsed by the Fraternal Order of Police. They understand that I'm a law and order governor and they want to make sure that we get that done. And if that, my legacy is being a law, law and order governor, that's probably a good thing in my book. Let's say that you win the Republican nomination and that you win in November. Uh, what's what is going to be your first action once you take the office of governor in uh, January of uh, 2025? Yeah, I, there's four things that I think we can do immediately. The first one we just talked about a little bit is working with communities and our police departments to get our communities safe again. We don't want to defund the police. We want to protect the police and give them the assets. Those men and ladies who put their life on the line every day do for our communities. We want to make sure they have the right tools to make sure they can keep and get these communities back and safe. So that would be number one, and that probably is number one, two, and three, but that's the most important part across our state. Education is a huge issue, giving parents and children the choice to make sure they're getting the right educational opportunities from our school systems across the state. That's a, that's a big, big issue for me. Uh, growing our state's agriculture industry, as I mentioned, I'm a first-generation farmer. I have a unique look at what it takes to work with Missouri's 95,000 family farmers, second largest family farmer base in the United States. Uh, that will be something I work on very hard. And last but certainly not least, 
is economic development, providing jobs and opportunities, growing businesses. Government should never create jobs, but I think we should create an environment that lets businesses grow and new businesses locate here. And when that happens, Missourians have opportunities. They have opportunities to go to work, to better themselves, to provide for their families. And um, economic development becomes a really key component of how Missouri continues to move forward and grow. That was Mike Kehoe, Missouri's current lieutenant governor, who has announced that he is running for governor of Missouri next year. If you're tuning in late or want to hear more, subscribe to Show Me Today on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Show me today. Put a frog in boiling water and it'll jump right out. But put a frog in cool water and slowly heat it up, that frog will boil. As veterans, we tell ourselves the lie that we can handle anything. We let the water boil. You are not a frog. If you or a veteran you know needs support, don't wait. Reach out. Find resources at va.gov reach. That's va.gov reach. Brought to you by the United States Department of Veterans Affairs and the Ad Council. Here's Heather with the weather. Well, it's beautiful out there, sunny and 75, almost a little chilly in the shade. Now, let's get a read on the inside of your car. It is hot. You've only been parked a short time and it's already 99 degrees in there. Let's not leave children in the back seat while running errands. It only takes a few minutes for their body temperatures to rise, and that could be fatal. Cars get hot fast and can be deadly. Never leave a child in a car. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. What I remember most is the loneliness I felt, the separation from other people. At the end, drinking was no fun for me. Since I've started to attend AA meetings, the greatest gift is that I've become reconnected. I'm part of life again. I really like myself, and that's wonderful. AA is a miracle in my life. Visit aa.org for more information and download the Meeting Guide app to find a meeting near you. They are our love bugs and companions. They are our pets, our family, and they make life better. When we face unexpected challenges, so do our pets. That's why we're on a mission to support people and their pets. Whether donating a bag of kibble, sharing an Instagram post of a lost cat, or welcoming a foster pet into your home, every bit of kindness counts. Visit PetsAndPeopleTogether.org to learn how to be a helper in your community. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. 
This is Show Me Today. Missouri Valley College in Marshall has a legacy of top-ranked rodeo teams, and this year is no different. The number one men's team and the number two women's team will be heading to the College National Finals Rodeo on June 10th in Casper, Wyoming. Coach Ken Mason tells Ashley Bird about his hardworking student-athletes. In college rodeo, you have the bareback riding, you have the calf roping, you have the breakaway roping, you have the saddle bunk riding, you have the uh, team roping, you have the go tying, you have the steer wrestling, the barrel racing, and the bull riding. And so on a normal work, and on a normal week, we practice four days a week, Monday through Thursday. So we'll practice nine events a day, uh, four days a week. And that's how we prepare. And then on Mondays, we have meetings, and the meetings are pretty much about just the mental aspect, the mental game of, of rodeo and how to win. Yep. So it's it's like other sports in that you have to have the mental game, you have to have the practice and scrimmages and stuff like that. It's just uh, um, ha, let me, let me back up a little bit. Why don't we have more rodeo uh, teams across Missouri? Is it is it an expensive sport? Is it hard to mount? I you know Missouri Valley does very well. It's I don't see it as as widespread across Missouri. No, there's only two, uh, three programs in the state of Missouri, Central Methodist University, Three Rivers College, and Missouri Valley College in the state of Missouri that have rodeo programs. There might be a couple clubs at, like, the University of Missouri might have a club or something like that. I'm unaware of that right now, but every once in a while they spark up a club. Um, so there's only three schools in the state. One's a JUCO and one's very similar to us that have uh, rodeo. It, it takes a lot more, I would imagine, than some of the other sports to to really get set up. Um, what's the secret to your longevity there at Missouri Valley College? It's different than all the other sports on campus. I mean, we're totally different than all the other sports on campus. We don't hand you a jersey and pair of shoes until you get on the bus. That's not how it works around here. Uh, all the other teams, they get to... Um, you know, they get share facilities and everything. We have to, yeah, we, you know, we have a 350 by 250 indoor facility that we practice in. Um, we have to have stalls and pins and livestock, uh, livestock to practice on. We have bucket horses, bulls, calves, steers, goats to practice on. You go to local local ranches and stuff. How, how do you get these, uh, these uh, animals to practice on? Well, I have an assistant coach, Roy Lee, and... Uh, he does an extremely good job gathering livestock for us. He does an extremely good job. He'll get them privately off of some private individuals. Uh, he'll use some local guys, uh, uh, order buyers to buy cattle and stuff, and then he'll buy several himself. I, I learned yeah. about you because your community is very proud of you. Your local radio station was telling me all about this team and how well it does. So I imagine you get a lot of community support in this area. Tell me about that. Oh, we're so blessed to get the support of the community. Yeah, they've they've done a great job. They they do support the community. You know, and vice versa, we support community. Um, you know, the largest uh, economic impact on the town of Marshall or Saline County is is when we host a home college rodeo here at the Saline County Fairgrounds in the Don and Julie Julian Arena. Tell me more about your team. It's a pretty impressive photograph from from the regionals. Tell me more about your team. They're a great group of kids, work hard, discipline, practice hard. Um, they're from all over the United States. You know, I, I was thinking I, I have two kids from the state of Missouri that compete at Missouri Valley College on the rodeo team. Two out of the all the Cowboys and rodeo kids in the state of Missouri, only two of them are from the state of Missouri that, still are, that are on our team.
Um, and so, but I get kids from uh, Oklahoma, Arkansas. I mean, I get them from all over. I mean, I've had them everywhere from Gary, New York to Battle uh, Mountain, New Mexico, and Canada to Cocoa, Florida. Yep. Wow. So do you go out and recruit them the way other coaches do? Well, you know, it's it's pretty grilling. We uh we do have to go and recruit, but you gotta think, I mean, you know, there's twenty four high school seniors in the state of Missouri that are competing in high school rodeo. Twenty four in the whole state. And there's probably about ten of those that'll continue on their college education. And of those ten, probably eight of them will go to a JUCO, you know, a junior college somewhere. So we have to we have to really reach far to get kids. That's what we have to do. Yeah, with, absolutely. With the, I mean, there's more kids that are going to go and play a college sport in the city of Columbia than there is in five states in rodeo. You know what I mean? Yeah, but they're obviously drawn to Missouri Valley College, uh, reputation, standings. And where do they go from there? Oh, well, their hopes and dreams is to the PRCA and win a world championship or world title. That's what that's what they want to do. You know, when you take a group of young people that have the same goal in mind, it's amazing um, when you set the expectations high, uh, how far they reach. But uh, we have several kids that make a living rodeoing that are alumni. Um, we have past world champions that are alumni. Um, so average winners at the NFR. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's the end goal for a lot of them. How did you get involved in this, Coach? My grandpa was a cowboy, and I wanted to be my grandpa. That's how I got involved. That's how I got involved in rodeo. Yep. And to coach at Missouri Valley College, um, you got involved and you competed? Oh, yeah, I competed up until I was one. I rode bucking horses. Uh, I got on my last one, I think, in 2010. Um, But... uh, yeah, I don't know. It was the worst financial decision I ever made in my life to get into college rodeo coaching, but uh, it's probably the most rewarding, the most the job that I've had the most substance at. <laughs> it's different. It's a different sport. The cultures. You can come to the town of Marshall, Missouri, and everybody in this town will tell you how how they enjoy the rodeo team, how the rodeo team is polite, kind, good people, pay their bills, do things. The kids just do right. You know, it's a different culture. It's it's a it's a good culture. I'm not saying they're not ornery because they are, but let me tell you, they are good kids. And I tell you what, work. I, I'm blessed to get the to have the opportunity to work with the children or the young people that I get to work with. Because if I didn't, I don't know if I'd have a lot of hope for the future. But I get to work with some outstanding young men and women. I mean, we go out here and we practice hard and we persevere and we're gritty. I mean, we might be tying goats or roping calves when it's 20 degrees out, you know. I mean, we just they have to learn to be gritty, have to persevere through all kinds of obstacles, whether it's the weather. Uh, you know, they get in a truck and they drive uh, 10 hours with a truck and trailer to go compete, and they have one opportunity there. And so they have to, they know they have to be prepared to be there. You know, they prepare for it. I mean, I got a little girl. The other day we were taking off and we went to, where were we going, Martin, Tennessee, and I had a little girl that blew a blew a bearing on the hub of her trailer. So I'm not, not, remind you, this is a 19-year-old girl. 
you know, which doesn't surprise me at all. But I mean, she's on the side of the, she's she pulls over, takes a tire off on the side of the interstate, goes to the next exit, and uh, was able to find a hub in the next town, and she put it on herself and put her tire back on and grease the bearing, and away she was gone. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, it's it's different. I mean, these kids get up in the morning before class and they do chores. I mean, they got to feed their livestock, feed the animals. They have to feed the livestock around here before they go to class in the morning. And that's the last thing they do before they go in at night to take care of their livestock. I mean, they have a lot of responsibility, you know. Plus, they got a pickup they got to take care of and a trailer they got to maintain to get up and down the road. <laughs> There's a lot, a lot of great, uh, great education on life from our sport. We're talking to Coach Mason, Coach Ken Mason from Missouri Valley College, who's the rodeo coach of the top-ranked rodeo teams at Missouri Valley College. Thank you for taking your time out of your busy day. We're just talking to you today when you were unloading some livestock before you could talk to me. So you sound like you work just as hard or harder as your students. Thank you for your time on Show Me Today. All right. Thank you, ma'am. Have a great day. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past the turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's It's our roads. It's It's our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. If you're talking, they will hear you Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You try All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. 
Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control, and priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Email from school about the incident today. Scary. Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on? None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night, too. Did you have a clue? No, but you know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids. Half the time, it's rumors. It can be hard to tell sometimes, but if you're ever concerned about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult. Mom or me, a teacher, coach, school counselor, someone you know and trust. Dad, no kid is going to tell an adult about that kind of stuff. I get it, but if we don't know, we can't help. Speaking up about a problem, that's what helping a friend is all about. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Welcome back to Show Me Today in the era of increased school threats. The push to help keep Missouri schools safe will involve the push of a button. Elisa Nelson talks to Mike O'Connell, Missouri Department of Public Safety spokesman, about the state launching a new app. Well, the, the whole purpose is another tool for safety in our schools. And what this is, it's a silent mobile app that a teacher or an administrator or whoever the school picks can u- can utilize. You know, hit that alert Um when there's an incident, and then the um, everybody who signed up for that, including 911 and law enforcement in the area, are going to get an immediate emergency alert that they can act on. So that's a signal if, let's say, that there is an active shooter, God forbid, you know, on the campus or trying to enter, they can alert to that. Now, they can also alert so that there's a fire, you know. Um, or there's some type of another, let's say they, there can be an alert to just, we want to hold kids in the school because there's some type of a medical emergency in one of the hallway. What's nice about this technology is that the teacher or the administrator doesn't have to, you know, pick up the phone and call 91 and, you know, give their information. You're pressing that button. It immediately goes to, um, to the 911 center. And then it's identifying who is it that's supplying the information, you know, who is the teacher that's going to appear, um, where are they, you know, exactly physically, where are they, what is the type of emergency? So they can say, you know, it's a fire, it's an active shooter, um, it's some type of a medical uh, issue, or it could be that there's some type of a small skirmish among students, um, in which case that's going to stay within the school and it's not going to have to go to to 911. It's also excellent because it's a, 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 a way that they can do training and their drills. So in other words, you're going to program your drills that you need to do. Let's say you need to do a certain number of fire drills or an earthquake drill or a tornado drill. Um, 
this is a good way to get that alert out. Um, but it's also then an opportunity to train and to drill with this app so that if you do need to use it because there's some type of an intruder into the building, that can be done as well. So the app is free to schools, as I understand it. This is state funded. What inspired, uh, and I know this is a silly question, but what inspired the state to go down this route? Well, um, we've been adding different things um, over the years. So, for instance, the Highway Patrol has something that's called Courage to Report, which is a tip app, you know, about, you know, bullying that might be going on in the school. Uh, There's training to deal with, you know, what takes place um, both for students, you know, and for administrators and teachers, but then also for law enforcement. You know, our schools are very important. You know, they're our greatest resource. The the children um, in that school, the teachers, we want to protect them. And so this is another tool that we can utilize for that purpose. So this is just for um, school workers, just staff then um, to communicate with emergency responders. It's not like the students can or the parents of the students can also be a part of this app then. Correct. Correct. So the school is as they sign up for this and get registered and that process is going on now. We started that last week and in the in the first six days, we've already had 71 different school districts registered to start this process. Those districts have 523 schools combined, so we're off to a a very good start. But as part of their process, they will then determine and give us the email um, uh, uh, addresses as well as uh, phone numbers uh, and the names of the people that they want to have in that. So it's typically going to be teachers and administrators. And then some some may choose that, you know, we want to have custodial staff because they're going to they might be the first ones to see what's going on, that there's an intruder. You know, let's say they're outside on the grounds and there's something. So it's up to the district. That's one of the nice things is that they can tailor this um, as they like. And the idea is that once that is deployed, there, the person is identifying there's different icons on their phone on this app that's going to say we want to do active shooter or that there's a fire. And so that information then and the location is transmitted to um, 911 automatically. There's also then a connection established with 911 where that person who's deployed the app can then say, you know, through a text, let's say they have to be silent because there is an intruder. Um, they've locked their um, doors. They've closed the shades. They've warned the, the children. They've sent out that alert silently so that everybody in the school and the administration has it. Now they've got a connection to 911 and they can provide more information through text or by voice as to what um additionally is going on, additional details. Missouri has rolled out a state-funded mobile app for public schools across the state to rapidly alert school staff and emergency responders to emergency situations. Mike O'Connell with the Missouri Department of Public Safety joined Show Me Today to talk a little bit more about the app. I'm Elisa Nelson. So this is just for public schools. It's not for private schools then? Public and charter. And we should point out that some uh, we're using Raptor Technologies as the company, 
Um, some may already have a contract with that. In fact, they had eight school districts that had over 100 schools that they were already contracted with. So now what will happen is the state will pick up the tab for that, for the basic services that we are providing. Um, and then it's open to charter schools as well. But then there are some other school districts around the state that may have signed up with another company that they may be utilizing within their district. And they're they're free to continue to do that. You know, if they want to pay for that service with a provider that, that they're satisfied with. I realize that private schools are a whole nother ball game, but at the end of the day, I mean, school safety is school safety. So I'm curious how that conversation went to not include private schools to also be able to take advantage of this app, at least from the state. Yeah. So this is part of the budget and this is the way that it was funded. But uh, and you could talk to DESE, Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, a little bit more. But typically, the um, uh, private schools operate outside of the typical uh, state system. So this is just sort of following the procedures and the way these types of things have been handled um, traditionally. Um, One thing I do want to point out, too, is that we're encouraging everybody, all the districts that want to get involved in this, to try to get on that site and register um, by June 30th. And the idea is that if they can do it by June 30th, we can go through the whole process of setting it up for that district. Um, if If it's after June 30th, they're going to be in the second group. And then the idea would be to get that second group into the program by um, November. Uh, And if people want to know if school administrators would like to go directly to the site to to start that process, they're going to go to www.raptortech.com forward slash Missouri. So that's www.raptortech.com. T-O-R-T-E-C-H dot com forward slash Missouri. I I don't know the price tag on this stuff, but it seems like it's um, much more cost effective um, having this app versus one of the old school panic buttons that you install at various places around the school. You know, it's it's an app. Do you have a cost on the app? It's a yeah, it's about a a million dollars a year. And so that's in the um, budget now. And then um, it's in the the budget that you know the governor has to take action on, but it's it's in it was one of his um, uh, initiatives, so that it's um, in the budget for next year, and the go- governor will take action on that. And then it's um, designed to be a, an ongoing expense; it'll have to be continued to be approved. But the plan is to to continue that. Um, so it it's going to be a more con. Well, for the schools that are going to utilize it, it's it's free for them to utilize it. And it's it's the state, because of the size of this, there's a little bit of a, a, a discount, I'm sure, on the per school rate, you know. Again, that address, www.raptortech.com backslash Missouri. Um, And you're encouraging folks to get signed up by June 30th. Mike O'Connell with the Missouri Department of Public Safety. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Hey, Jimmy, turn off the video games. Let's go play some ball. I'm in the 
middle of my game. Can't we go later? Come on, it'll be fun. It will be there when you get back. Okay. But there's no way you're gonna win. Why don't you grab some water and granola bars and then we'll see about that. You can make a difference. Eat smart, play hard. And when you do, your kids will too. A challenge from USDA. Some people won't give you the real talk on drugs. But it's time we know the facts. Fentanyl is often laced into illicit drugs and used to make fake versions of prescription pills. You can't see it, taste it, or smell it. Suppliers mix fentanyl into their products because it's potent and cheap. And the dealer might not even know. Keep yourself and others safe by knowing the real deal on fentanyl. Get the facts. Go to realdealonfentanyl.com. This message is brought to you by the Ad Council. It's 4 a.m., Monday, and you're literally sucking baby snot through a tube because she's congested. Man, that's love. And if you love her that much, love her enough to make sure she's buckled in the right car seat. To make sure your child's in the right seat for their age and size, visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. If a baby is giggling in the back seat, they're probably happy. If a baby is crying in the back seat, they're probably hungry. But if a baby is sleeping in the back seat, will you remember they're even there? When you're distracted, stressed, or not usually the one who drives them, the chances of forgetting them in the back seat are much higher. It can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get in the habit of checking the back seat when you leave. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training, along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. Glad you're with us back on Show Me Today. This is the time of year when mushroom hunters are in full swing. Melissa Brigler with the Missouri Department of Conservation is here with Cameron Connor to share where to start when searching for mushrooms. There's so much more there than what meets the eye when people look at a mushroom. So so mushrooms are actually what we refer to as a fruiting body. It's the, the part of the fungus that produces spores. And so what we don't see in the ground or wherever this mushroom is growing off of, sometimes it's growing on a piece of wood or or just the yard or, or just, you know, even rotting animals, there's mushrooms that are growing. What's actually in is the fungus is growing within that substrate. And whenever environmental conditions are uh, adequate, that fungus then produces spores, decides to produce spores. And so it, it, it 
produces this mushroom that uh, will disseminate those spores into the environment. And one of the analogies that's really easy for people to picture is kind of like an apple on an apple tree. So for the fungus, it's sort of like producing that apple. You know, there's a there's a big organism there that you don't even see, but it's only producing the apple, just a piece of the organism itself, sort of like an apple tree. There's this tree, but it's only producing these apples ever so often. Picking the apple off the tree is not hurting the tree. Um, and similarly, picking a mushroom is not really hurting that fungus. You're just removing the the fruiting body, the portion of it that produces spores. And they are very different from plants. So, um, but yeah, they produce by spores and plants produce by seeds. So mushrooms um, or fungus produces mushrooms as their fruiting body. Um, flowering plants would be producing a flower to produce seeds. So so they're very different in different kingdoms, uh, you know, of the world, but, but uh, still connected just because it's... Um, growing out of soil, growing out of, you know, on, on other plants and things like that. So I, I understand the connection there, but they are very different organisms. They definitely are very different organisms. And they also, because of that, there are certain types of environments where they're prone more to growing and flourishing versus a lot of different plants. But so I, I guess you went into it a little bit, but just to give a, another example, I guess, to educate the audience, where do they or what is the best conditions for a fungus to grow, I guess? And when, when are some times a year maybe that they thrive? Can you give yeah. some information on that? Yeah, of course. And and that that's also a very good question. Um, and it, it it's very dependent on what um, species we're talking about. And so what a lot of people think is, you know, that it's morel season. So the mushrooms are are coming out now. But really, we can find mushrooms in the state of Missouri throughout the year. Um, even some edible mushrooms now kind of taking away maybe January and February, <laughs> but, but given some really mild winter temperatures, there's even some edible mushrooms out in the, the late, late fall or very early spring. Um, but yeah, there, it really depends on the species of mushroom and some of them only grow in the ground. Some of them only grow on the wood. Um, and it's really just anything that that fungus is, is decomposing. And, you know, some mushrooms can be found growing in, um, various seasons throughout the year. And then some like morels are only in the spring. So they're very specific and very specific for even just a month or so out of the year. You know, our spring season kind of lasts a little bit longer. But um, like for, for currently, for example, early May, uh, we have, you know, it's kind of a getting probably a little bit past peak of, of morel season, but spring still continues for a while. So even just um, within the season, it can be very specific depending on the mushroom. But we've got others that are just very common and, and they can be seen throughout the year even. So it really just depends on the species. Are there any sort of safety tips or anything like that? Because I know that some of these things can be pretty hard to differentiate, but you really need to know what you're touching. And especially if you consider eating it, you really got to know what you're doing. So what about some general safety tips? Uh, sure. Yeah. The, it, morels are nice that there's, there isn't a lot of lookalikes out there for morel mushrooms. And there's some pretty good um, 
surefire ways to tell if it's a morel or if it's something that might look like a morel, but it's not really. And one of the easiest ways to tell is, uh, well, first of all, bring up pictures of morels <laughs> so you know what you're looking for. You know, it's a very specific mushroom. There's, there's other mushrooms in the woods that you should not be eating, so you need to for sure make sure you know what a morel mushroom does look like. Um, so then you find find what you think you know looks like the the photographs. And you can pull these up online. There's there's lots of books. There's some free brochures. If you'd stop by a conservation department office, one of the regional offices, there's free brochures that have pictures of morels in there too. And um, so you you find it and you say, okay, yes, this looks just like the picture, but I really have to be sure if this is a morel mushroom or not. Um, cut that mushroom down the the center lengthwise, so long you know along its um, uh, along the stem and make sure that it is hollow in the middle. And most field guides and certainly um, pictures online will show this, how the, the morel mushroom does have a hollow center. So when you cut that lengthwise down the middle of that mushroom, you'll see the hollow center in the mushroom. There's a few other mushrooms that look similar to a morel mushroom. Um, one of them has a kind of red cap, and people refer to those as reds or um, beefsteak mushrooms sometimes. Um, in my opinion, they don't look much like a morel mushroom, but some people might mistake them for a morel. But if you cut them down the middle, they will not be hollow. They'll still be kind of pithy and, and kind of look like a sponge in the middle too. Um, so so that's a, it makes it morels a very um, safe and enjoyable mushroom because they are fairly common in the state. Um, some people might argue if they go out hunting for hours and never find one, but they, they are fairly common and, and widespread throughout the state. And, and it is a, a good, easy way to know it is a truly edible mushroom, not a lot of lookalikes out there. There's um, actually a, a brochure that we put out that does have kind of some tips on, on making sure that you are harvesting and eating mushrooms safely. Um, of course, one of them is obviously just make sure, double check and recheck that you do have the, the edible that you're thinking that you have. Um, and we do have other edible mushrooms besides morels. Of course, they're the most common, uh, commonly consumed and enjoyed mushroom in the state. And, and everybody seems to kind of know is familiar with that one. But we do, even through the uh, the summertime, the heat of the summer, we have chanterelle mushrooms. Um, and those are, are easy to identify. They also have a, kind of some good tips on how to confirm that you do have the chanterelle mushroom, not not a uh, look-alike that, that could potentially make you sick or something. But in the fall, there's a whole host of edible mushrooms in the fall, too. So, you know, I'd encourage people to, to kind of learn a little bit more about that, um, not just focus on the morels, even though they are delicious as well. This, once again, has been State Botanist for the Missouri Department of Conservation, Melissa Brigler. Melissa, thank you so much for joining us on Show Me Today in the Voice of Missouri. And for anyone who's just tuning in or want to listen or learn more, make sure you search Show Me Today the Voice of Missouri, wherever you get your podcast. My therapist had told me that I needed to go to AA meetings, but I wasn't sure whether I wanted to go because I didn't want to be an alcoholic. That was not what I wanted to grow up and be. I didn't want to go to AA, but I did, and it wasn't what I expected by any means. It was friendly. I could feel it. I mean, I could feel the happiness. It's really great. Visit aa.org for more information and download the Meeting Guide app to find a meeting near you. Every day we take steps to keep the people we love safe, but some health risks are easy to miss. Ticks hiding in the yard can spread germs, like the ones that cause Lyme disease. Mice searching for food can spread bacteria that makes us sick. Mosquitoes lay eggs in standing water and can spread West Nile virus and more. 
Cockroaches are drawn to water in the home, leaving behind allergens that can trigger asthma attacks. Common pests can threaten our health. Learn how to protect your family at pestworld.org. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training, along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perished in the line of duty, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on United States Deputy Sheriff's Association, please visit usdeputy.org. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the back seat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. If I could be you. And you could be me. For just one hour. If you could find a way. To get inside. Each other's mind. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. We've all felt left out. And for some, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Walk a mile in my shoes. Many business owners and entrepreneurs today are drowning in unsecured debt and just can't stop incurring more. Business Debtors Anonymous is a 12-step recovery program where you will receive support for doing business and living life without incurring new unsecured debt. Business Debtors Anonymous offers meetings every day where members support one another to help them stop incurring new unsecured debt. You're not alone. Visit helpfordebtors.org. That's helpfordebtors.org. Show me today. Email from school. How about the incident today? Scary. Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on? None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night, too. Did you have a clue? No. But you know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids. Half the time, it's rumors. It can be hard to tell sometimes, but if you're ever concerned about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult. Mom or me, a teacher, coach, school counselor, someone you know and trust. Dad, no kid is going to tell an adult about that kind of stuff. I get it, but if we don't know, we can't help. Speaking up about a problem, that's what helping a friend is all about. For more information,